0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
2: Okay, welcome to the show. It is Greeny on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, along with Hembo, Evan Cohen, in today for Greeny and Cam Bubba. Back in Bristol, it happened again. I'm going to get to what it is in a in a second here.
3: Morning, Hembo. Good morning. Mm. I I dread, I dread the topic that we're about to talk about. But candidly, we, we must we must talk about it. Okay, so um, let's, there's just no way around it. Yeah, let's rewind if we
2: could. About a week or so ago, the invention of bowing took place here on Greeny. Mm-hmm. As Greeny said that the proper interaction between two humans is just simply to bow. And that stemmed from a moment that you and I had in the hallways here at ESPN where you had gone to the bathroom and you had tried to shake my hands. Is that correct? That's 100% correct. And you had not washed your hands. Is that correct? That is also correct. But you did put the, the uh, hand sanitizer on
3: your yes. Yes. Yeah. All of these things are true.
2: Okay. Well, uh, normally, uh, people hear me, hopefully, along with Chris Canty and Michelle Smallman on Sportsman like 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on ESPN Radio. And uh, during a commercial break today, uh, moments ago, I ran over to the bathroom. And who do I see in the bathroom is one Hembo. And not thinking about the moment that occurred last week <laughs> that led Greeny to say, how dare you, both of you, try to reach out your hands to shake – he looks at me and he tries to do it again, again, this time within the actual bathroom, this time without washing or cleansing your hands in
3: any way, shape, or form.
2: Is anything I am saying
0: incorrect?
3: No. As I was walking away from the toilet, as you were walking towards it, I extended my hand. <laughs> it's unbelievable. As if that were the right thing to do. Right.
2: Now, the difference is this time I have learned from Greenie, right? He is the person that we all follow here at ESPN Radio. He is the person that we all strive to be like, mm. right? He's our leader in many ways, shape, and always, right? In always. And he said, Evan, this is on you as well. You should not extend the hand or even engage with him. So I have learned my lesson. And in that bathroom moments ago, I started screaming at you. And I said, What are you doing? And you said to me, you know, I didn't even think about it. And this was not a bit. This was not something that you were going to sit there and say, hey, you know what, since I had this last week, I'm going to now do this again to you. You just are someone, one of these players that has a great coach, and you wonder why doesn't that player learn from that coach? Why when that coach says, you know what? Follow through on your jumper, and you just the person does not follow through on their jumper, and at some point you realize you're playing for John Wooden. Mm. You're playing for Phil Jackson, mm. Pat Riley, Greg Popovich, Ty Lue, Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr now. Why don't you learn you're playing
3: for for and with Greenie, and yet you still have not learned? I'm not coachable. You're not coachable. I'm not coachable. So here's the thing. Again, this was not a bit. This this was my natural reflex. Right. You and I had not seen each other, at least that closely this morning. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that you and I were in proximity. Right. My initial inclination is... Let me greet you properly. Right. The reason I think it's worth pushing back here is because you and I are both going to wash our hands before we leave. So what difference does it make? Oh, my God. You're what not difference does angle. it make? I'm not defending myself, but oh my I am God. explaining myself. We both have the opportunity to wash our hands after we engage in this handshake or fist pound in the bathroom. What difference does it make if I extend it inside of okay. that room or outside All of that right. room?
2: Well, there is a big difference. And I don't know how to do this on a family-friendly platform that we are on right now. But your hands, while in a bathroom, uh, would interact with parts that I'm not interested in interacting with. I don't know how else to say it, but that way. That's the difference between shaking a hand in a bathroom and outside of the bathroom.
3: Interact.
2: Cam, Bubba. This is not a bit. This guy still does not understand how gross he is.
4: Yeah. I also have issue with, I don't think I've ever shaken someone's hand in a bathroom in my entire life. Of course not. And that includes being like a a grimy college kid at bars and stuff. I'm not shaking people's hands. You get in, you get out, you do your business. You give a quick head nod if you see someone you know in there.
3: You've never once pounded it in the bathroom? I don't like when you (laughs) phrase it that way. (laughs) What?
2: Use different phrasing if you could.
3: You've never never, um, extended a fist bump (laughs) in the bathroom ever in your life? No. I've definitely not. What are you I, talking
4: about? I don't think I've ever touched hands with another person in, like, a public bathroom
3: ever. <laughs> are you saying I'm the only person that's ever... <laughs> pounded it in the bathroom? Shaking a hand no. or pounded it in the bathroom? <laughs> ever? Like, I understand that my, my proclivities are unusual, <laughs> but they are, not, they are not unprecedented proclivities. Like, I don't think that what I'm saying here, Bubba, is outside the Overton
1: window. Here we go with the window. I think, to me, the the key of all this is... Evan saying this is not a bit. And I think to me (laughs) that's the thing we have to understand what's going on because that's a theme that has come back many, many times, and that's something I've said to my friends a lot. That's something I've said to my family a lot. It's something we have to explain to other coworkers Mm. here. This is just an overarching theme with Hembo where it doesn't matter if it's food takes. It doesn't matter if it's his song understandings or movie references or now bathroom etiquette. The thing or with terminology Hembo, in yeah. the, bathroom. the issue with Hembo is, it's not a bit, and this is a problem. I, yes, I have
4: had friends who listen to the show and listen. I've never even met Hembo in person, so this is
2: that's still to me is yeah. mind-boggling. It has never
4: come down. Yeah, You've I, never gone up. One day, that's true. But I have had friends <laughs> who have who have said to me who listen to the show who are like excited. I'm on the show. They say. Mm. Is he really like that? And I have to explain, I think so. I don't know for sure, but from everything I hear, the answer is yes. You should head down to the seaport. You can pound each other in the
0: bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Can
3: we talk about the Cowboys? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm dying to react to the Micah Parsons podcast sound. Yeah, but that's the
2: most relevant.
3: Cam and I now. are too busy discussing our uh, intimate <laughs> oh, yeah. moments in the bathroom.
2: Bubba nailed it. I want to put this out there. Just, nailed it. And we will, we will, don't worry, we will get to the, the, the Cowboys. Mm. But Bubba did nail it because everything we're doing comes off. Now, listen, when it's on the radio, is it a bit? Of course, right? Everything is, right? Talking about Micah Parsons is a bit, mm-hmm. in essence doesn't mean we're not being real. We are being a thousand percent real. You are completely, ob- you Hembo, are completely oblivious to the reputation you properly have around here of your hygiene being horrific. Horrific? Horri- you look, you look as like one of the cleanest people you'll ever meet. You look extremely clean.
4: You do present as a German. You
2: present as absolutely right. You are in no way though clean. In no way <laughs> no. I If you told me you haven't showered this week, I'd believe it. You'd believe it? Based on all of what has happened to date around you, do you shower every day?
3: I shower most days. <laughs> so what you're saying is that this is just a facade that my behavioral patterns here at work mm-hmm. lead you to believe that I'm an unclean person and that everything that I'm doing at work is just to deceive you? And believe to the contrary? I would say
2: that you're you're maybe one of the ultimate don't judge a book by its cover. Bubba's name on the show is Bubba. When you have the name Bubba, you would think that guy probably doesn't shower much. Right. I would bet Bubba's an everyday shower. Am I right on that, Bubba? Yeah, I've been known to hop in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) And Hembo, who is the stat nerd, never a hair out of place, Mm -mm. the Peyton Manning quarter zips... It's actually really dirty. Comes off as really clean. Is actually really dirty. Here's
3: what I want you to think. I want you to think that I live life in the right lane. In reality, I can occasionally deviate. That's Mm. just God's honest truth. What I need to make sure that I do is, without changing the character, the fabric of who I am, my ethos, be a little bit cleaner at work, it seems, because people around me... Now, like, I, don't want this to, I don't want this to escalate. I don't want to get oh, a call, a call There's been some from human resources or right. someone like that and say, what's going on here, mm. right? Because I don't think extending a hand to another person in the bathroom to say hello for the first time in a day. Or pounding it. Or pounding it, for that matter, is, is, is unclean. But if I'm in the minority there, I have to understand I am still operating in a society. And even though I think you guys are crazy to abide by all these specific rules... This is a society, and I should abide by them. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 33. Do you think you know it all at 33? I don't.
2: Mm, what about a 24, like Micah Parsons, who may thinks may he kind of thinks he knows it all? The Edge with Micah Parsons podcast. Oh boy, oh boy, take a listen.
5: Sitting here, you know, they talking about we're going all in this year, man. That's what I would hope for. You know, I'm 24 years old. I've been in this league three years, and I kind of seen it all. And uh. I hope that we go all in. I hope that we go out and get the players that we're missing because we didn't do that this year. You know, I hope that we challenge ourselves, become better, and become greater for us.
2: He knows it all three years into the league. He's seen it all at 24 years old. You know, Hembo, I've been at ESPN Radio for five months. There's really nothing else I need to learn. I have done it all. I mean, five months, I've really done it all. I've worked with you. I work with CeCe. I work with Smalls. I don't see anything else I need to accomplish. Mm. There's nothing. I don't need to get better. I don't need to get worse. And if you have I mean, a
3: bad where, day, uh, yeah, wh- I don't,
2: I've wh- seen it all. Whose fault would it be? Uh, probably our bosses. Mm. Yeah. probably Or the defense or the offense. I mean, I don't know. This, this is getting to a point of ridiculousness. Do you realize each and every day on our shows here on ESPN Radio, this week we have had Dallas Cowboys sound to play? Just as an FYI, the Dallas Cowboys not available to play two Sundays from now or not next Sunday the Sunday after. Like – they are bringing this upon themselves, but I have conspiracy theories on this. I am convinced there's something else going on that none of us know about. Like? Well, I think that Kevin Burkhart is one of the best play-by-play guys out there. And Kevin Burkhart on Fox, he's so good at calling a game, giving context to the game, storylines around the game, without entering that place of reckless speculation. Like, I don't know, we do mm. on a daily basis, Right. And if you think back to that final game of the season against the Packers in the playoffs, Kevin Burkhart led us down that path of Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, like there was something off with what was going on there. Then you've got Jerry Jones basically calling this, and for, he said it without saying it, the Dallas Cowboys are doing a last dance without a first dance. They're, they're in their final year right now of Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott. Oh, by the way, the last dance, Michael Jordan and the Bulls documentary, available on ESPN+, Plus, was their sixth championship. Not before their first. And now you've got Micah Parsons saying, well, we needed
3: more guys in a roundabout way.
2: What are we talking about here exactly?
3: It's a very bizarre thing. I want to make clear that I have no issue with athletes, with people like Micah Parsons using their voice on platforms like these because they're available to them now. This is the world in which we live. But with that, then comes the the natural byproduct of people like us needing to, in some cases, react to things, especially when they're this outlandish. If you're a 24-year-old who is in the in, in its rookie contract who played badly in each of his team's last two or three playoff losses, the thing that you should be saying on something like this is, we can play better. I should play better. And not to the extent of, oh, let's put this on the front office. Let's say that we need more people. Like, that's not... That isn't your job. And so the, what the Dallas Cowboys seemingly have done is, is created a culture to where this kind of behavior is acceptable. And thus, it should not surprise us that when the rubber meets the road at the end of every season, every single loss looks exactly the same because people on that team are sort of all out, um, sort of every man for himselfing it with their own agenda. Can we bring in Bubba on this, who is a Cowboys fan? He, was, he went to the Cowboys
2: playoff game against the Packers. How would how do you read into this? Like How do you read into everything that's happened this week with the Dallas Cowboys with Jerry Jones talking about Dak is going to get us as far as we're going to go and there's no contract extensions anywhere yet? Now Micah Parsons kind of saying, you know, I hope that they bring in more guys without actually saying those words. How do you as a Cowboys fan hear all of this, Bubba?
1: I mean, there's just so many different layers of it that are frustrating, but I guess even just to zero in on the Parsons thing, which I find frustrating is for him to kind of, you know, Indicate that we needed more players. The Cowboys should have won that game. They have plenty of talent on that team. The roster was not the problem. And that's what I find frustrating for him, for him to imply that somehow. The team didn't bring in enough free agents. They didn't make enough trades. Like the team, everyone said that team was. T- they had enough talent on that team to clearly make a Super Bowl. So I'm not sure what he's talking about there, and I find that frustrating. That he's saying, "Oh, they need to make more moves, and I hope they go big this offseason." Yeah, I hope they always improve the team, but the team should have beaten Green Bay. The talent was not the issue there, and I just don't understand what he's saying. And like the the more, I mean, I Parsons is obviously unbelievable. I just the more and more he talks, I just find it more and more confusing because talent was not the issue. They, they are certainly better than Green Bay on paper, and they should have won that game. And I don't think more free agents are going to help them beat, uh, beat Green Bay.
2: Is there a chance, though, like just to play devil's advocate, is there a chance he's right? Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM, joined us this morning on Sportsmanlike and said that the Dallas Cowboys actually overachieved this year, not underachieved. That if you look up and down at what they have on their roster and who was there and who wasn't there, that they actually weren't as good as everyone thinks they were. I mean, is there an argument that actually Michael Parsons is right and that maybe our approach about the Dallas Cowboys all year – was wrong that this was actually an incomplete team that overachieved, and Mike McCarthy deserves more credit in getting what he got out of Dak Prescott, and that they were without. I mean, the entire
1: every, everyone's saying the entire year this is a Super Bowl team, this is a Super Bowl caliber roster. We, we get
2: it wrong. I mean, we can miss it. We can misevaluate things. So if that's but, a word. But
1: how, so no, every single person got it wrong, and then just because they they were terrible against the Packers, now we're just saying actually they they probably overachieved. I
4: don't I, think they get the benefit of that doubt.
1: I don't. I just don't understand the, the amount of Pro Bowlers they had on the team. All pros like i just don't to, where are they lacking talent they yeah, had so I, many I agree support. with you they have I so agree. many playmakers on their team that who did not show up like could they have some better players on the team yeah obviously every team could improve but there are so they have so many playmakers on that team who no showed in that game that that's why i just find frustrating what are you talking about like what did parsons even do in that game like what are you talking about you need more players like cd lamb was a joke in that game the defense overall was a joke in that game like what are you talking about you need more players I agree with everything you said.
2: I was bringing up the hypothetical of just playing out the devil's advocate, but here's why I actually agree. All of what you said is fair. The reason I agree is where we started here. If you weren't that good and you didn't have the pieces, more than any other team in the NFL, you meet with the media every single week, you have your own shows, at some point you could have said that prior to losing. It could, you could have hinted at the idea on your podcast, on, on Michael Parsons' podcast, I know everyone thinks we're great, but we're not as good as you think we are. We need some more help. we got to get better here. And there was never that indication as to maybe the Cowboys weren't that good. Greenie is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Coming up, one problem is solved and another one arises in the NBA. Greeny on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You've you know. never once pounded it in the bathroom?
6: eligible items only exclusions apply for the ones who get it done granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer call clickgranger.com, or just stop by this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different stressors
7: i do you do we all do
1: Greeny, the podcast. Joel Embiid is hurt. The Sixers big man is rolling around
0: on the hardwood. The hope is that the Sixers will have a clear
3: picture on whatever issues there may be with that knee. Now we got the MVP of our league possibly hurt because he's forcing it.
2: 97.5, the fanatic. Joel Embiid's injury. It is Greeny here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, along with pound for pounds, the best in the business over here, Hembo. Evan Cohen <laughs> with you. Oh, wow, you have a hand sanitizer. I'm just
3: demonstrating right now that Yeah, my, you should clean yourself after every segment. My hands are clean, so if I wind up touching someone else's hand, whether it be via a handshake, whether it be via a fist mm. pound, whether it be via any other method, uh, there is no worry that I'll be transmitting any more than 0.01% of my germs to theirs. Good.
2: I'm glad to hear that. Mm.
3: Okay. So um,
2: there's a lot going on with the NBA relative to— Load management, 65-game rule, et cetera, et cetera. Let's let's kind of rewind and give a big-picture approach to this before we even get to the specifics of Joe Ellenby. So for the last however many years in the NBA, we have had a lot of people complaining about the fact that they go to games or they want to watch or listen to games here on ESPN Radio, Lakers and Celtics tonight, by the way, beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern here on ESPN Radio, that, wow, I went to go see the Clippers and Kawhi didn't play. I went to go see the Mavs, and Luka didn't play. I went to go see the Sixers, and Joel Embiid did not play. Now, not all of those reasons were for rest. Some of them were actually for injury. But it got to such a point where people started turning on the NBA. And I think the fear of the NBA was that when they sat down at a negotiating table with networks like ours, ESPN, as well as Turner, that ESPN, Turner, any other network would have every right to say to Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, we would like to pay for your TV show. And when we pay for your TV show, we'd like your best actors to be there. We'd like A-listers. When we're going to make the equalizer, we'd like Denzel to be in it. That would be nice, right? Conceptually, the story may be good for a movie, but Denzel being in it, that means we're going to pay a little bit more for that. Now, why is that important relative to the players? And why is all of this actually done to protect players and not hurt players? Well, because the way in which the NBA works, the money that comes in to the NBA is split up amongst the players and the governor's teams. And the players actually get more, a bigger piece of the pie. And if that negotiation with the the television networks, like ours, goes from made-up numbers, $10 a year with the star players to $8 or $9 a year without the star players— well, the star players are actually going to get less. So all of this, this entire argument becomes null and void because they don't get that high piece of the, of the puzzle. And the pie, excuse me. So they say, all right, let's figure out a way of trying to do our best to ensure that NBA players play in as many games as possible. How do we do that? By putting in a number of games that would equal the opportunity to increase your salary. Not eliminate your salary, never decrease your salary. Increase your salary. So if you qualify for first, second, third team All-NBA, if you win one of the awards, your percentage of the salary cap is greater as the years progress, which means you can make more money if the salary cap increases. That's it. That's what they're doing. They're saying to Joel Embiid, we need you to play 65 games because you're a star, you're an A-lister, and ESPN and Turner will pay more money to have you on TV versus to have Paul Reed on TV. Offense. Not going to do no offense. That's offensive. Offense to the backup center for the Philadelphia. He played well against Denver, however. B-ball Paul. Yeah, I understand that. That's what this is. We're asking you to do your job as much as possible with the understanding that there's going to be wear and tear. Now, if you choose Joel Embiid or anyone else, and he's not choosing, he's actually hurt. If you choose or anyone else to not want to play 65 games because you think it'll hurt your long-term chance at success in the NBA postseason no problem what you're not eligible for then is a raise you still can have your salary exactly as is you're just not eligible for the raise. so what exactly are we debating i'll let draymond green from the volume and his podcast take it from here
5: joel playing tonight felt very much so because of the 65 game limit where i think it's actually quite bull guys didn't face those rules before but those same NBA all NBA teams, those same MVP awards, list, uh Defensive Player of the Year, those lists are the same. I once lost a Defensive Player of the Year award to Kawhi Leonard, and I think he played 51 games. In turn, you get Joel, who comes out there tonight and he forces it. And freak play with him and uh JK diving for the ball, but maybe it's not as bad if the knee isn't already banged up. I don't really bang with it. And now we got one of our Premier faces in this league, the MVP of our league, possibly hurt for an extended period of time because he's forcing it.
2: The JK that he's referring to there is Jonathan Kaminga of the Golden State Warriors. i th- That's <coughs> a choice. Embiid was banged up. You're a Sixers fan. He was banged up. He chose to play. Why did he choose to play? Well, if he wanted to be eligible for a raise, then that's why he chose to play.
3: I mean, Draymond Green's point is one well-made, although it's one for which I steadfastly disagree. We can't allow anecdotes, in this case, one freak injury, as he described on his podcast, to inform like, a holistic decision that the NBA properly made. Truthfully, this was an existential problem that the league has faced for, I would say, something like a decade. Ever since Greg Popovich's decision to load manage his big three became super popular acro- across the league, has this been an issue? of the uh, 65 games is is 80% of the time like you're not asking players to play 75 games or 80 games. You're asking players to play four out of five games. Obviously injuries might happen like this. But if you're also going to add rest games into it, that's the risk that you're taking that when you are actually hurt, you might lose the chance at all NBA, you might lose the chance at MVP. I'm good with the rule. It is absolutely going to be a reason why players, in the end, make more money, which is why it's so bizarre to me as someone as intelligent and as high-ranking in the NBA as Draymond Green is to be combating it because, in the end, it's going to wind up making them more money by a long shot than it's going to lose them. Absolutely, because, again, we go back to the TV
2: negotiations. If you are negotiating with the NBA and you know that at least 65 of 82 games star players are going to play, you have your lead actors for every single TV show. Before then, you didn't know that. You know, when you compare it to the NFL, the reality is star quarterbacks play every single week unless they're hurt, and you can rely on that. But here's the funny thing, and I'm shocked one Hembo didn't pound this out with with your thought process here, Hmm. that you didn't bring this up. The NBA is not the first to do this. In Major League Baseball, you have to have a certain amount of plate appearances and innings pitched, if I'm not mistaken, to qualify for awards. So much so that a player could theoretically be in their second season of games played
3: and still technically be a rookie. Sure, and in order to qualify for a batting title, it's 502 plate appearances, and in order to qualify for an ERA title, it's 162 innings. So this has been done in baseball for 100 years. And I understand that more times than not, baseball
2: logic is not where you want to follow to grow something. (laughs) I get that. But to baseball's credit, it is logical to say, That especially if you're using the word value, you are not as valuable if you don't do what you do at a high level more often than others. Mm -hmm. The the issue that, that Draymond brought up about, I lost a defensive, and I love Draymond, but the issue you brought up of 51 games played for Kawhi losing Defensive Player of the Year is that the voters should not have looked at someone as Defensive Player of the Year only playing that small or few amount of games. That was the issue. The issue was with the voters. In addition, oh, by the way, for a lot of the people that are saying what they're saying, and that, I, I didn't agree to this? Well, yes, you did. You're part of the union. The players, you're part of the Players Association. The NBA could not just do this without the Players Association signing off on this. So what exactly are we complaining about? Parenthetically,
3: Kawhi Leonard has twice-won Defensive Player of the Year award, and in those two years played 72 and 64 games. So he's actually wrong. He's actually not even right. About that particular instance. But he didn't hit the threshold, the current threshold on one of them missed by one game, theoretically,
2: right? But correct me if I'm wrong, Hambo, in order for this to get done, the Players Association had to agree to this,
3: 100%. And this is something that the Players Association, in a sober uh, moment, said, this is going to wind up making us more money. Like, in the end, the whole load management culture, in my opinion, was a crock, a total crock while like, it is, it is what, what I like to describe as sort of selective science, the more and more like, powerful the, the load management people get, right? the more incentive they have to demonstrate that it helps us in the long run, in the short run, and the long run, both in terms of the team and in a player's like, career longevity to sit, and the more sort of peer pressure you get across the league because you see everyone else doing it, it becomes a part of the culture. It became a very unhealthy thing. And that's why I was so happy that the NBA came out earlier this year and said, actually, the science refutes some of that.
2: I, I'm glad you said that. I want to. Cam has a question on this in a second I want to get to, but I'm so glad you said that. Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, has said this to me and to others for years. If the science works, why does it only work on star players? I'll give you a case in point. Two years ago, the Golden State Warriors won the NBA championship. Okay, One player, to my knowledge, on their team played 82 games that year. That player was Kevon Looney. I do not believe they would their center. I do not believe they would have won the championship if he was just removed from the team. I don't. They won in six games over the Boston Celtics. He was a rebounding and, de- and defensive machine. He was a heart and soul kind of guy. I'm a Heat fan. He reminds me of Udonis Haslam. They won three championships with him. He's that kind of guy, right? Well, if load management, the science behind it, is so vital, why didn't they manage the wear and tear of Kavon Looney, who played 82 games? It's only applied to start, it's not science, it's television. It's not science. It's we want great players to play on TV. Because if the science was so vital, why would it not apply to Kevon Looney? No, I'm serious.
4: I if, think the argument would be, would be he's minutes. not playing as many minutes. Mm-hmm.
2: It doesn't matter because the wear and – so somebody that is not – okay, so if Kevon Looney is used to playing 20 minutes and Steph Curry is used to playing 30 minutes, if Kevon Looney is theoretically, if the science works here, playing 23, there is relative wear and tear on his body mm-hmm. that would be the same if
3: Steph is playing 33, right? I agree with I agree with you. I, I've always felt that the load management culture was based upon witchcraft. It's not – the problem here is that when a certain subset of people gain power and everyone – winds up believing that that sci- like the science that they have selected is important and scientific and, and proven with all of the, you know, sort of natural hypotheses that are required. Then you feel badly if you deviate from it and you make a mistake. You, you see in 2019 the Raptors played Kawhi Leonard 60 regular season games they managed him throughout the season and in his particular case it worked because he wound up being the biggest reason they won the championship he played every game in the playoffs and was magnificent his coach Nick Nurse is coaching the Sixers right now which, which is why I believe that this is the right tack to take with Joe Embiid because he's run this play before but these things are all so selective it's just very difficult for you to convince me that playing less basketball <laughs> in the end is going to contribute to you playing more basketball
4: my only question would be should should there be some, and I think there are some stipulations already in the sixty-five game rule, but should there be some sort of delineation for players who are actually injured? And if Joel Embiid misses a couple games, ends up playing sixty-three. Five, six of those were load management. A, a chunk of them were he was he had an injured knee. Should he still be eligible because he missed time for something other than just, oh, I'm resting tonight?
2: So you're asking a question that the answer would be, if you are correct or if, you, if your theory then becomes practice, we are encouraging lying. And I'm never someone that in life in, likes to encourage lying.
4: And I think it's a gray area already because I think some guys, even with the new rules of you have to play all these games, there's a 65-game rule, and yes, that – prevents you from winning postseason awards but I think there are, there are definitely guys who are sitting out games saying oh I got a bum ankle or, or something like right, that but already it, but it'll and be and I think more. that that could yeah that could emphasize that but I just think for a guy like Embiid who might end up playing 63-64 might have the best season of anyone it is a little tough for him even though this is what players and the league want
2: but when you say have the best season again this is relative to all right so you're a 30 you're a 30 and 10 guy playing 60 games for a 50 win team or you're a 20 and nine guy playing 80 games for a 55 win team who's more valuable you're 100 no I, I, I don't know the answer you're right.
3: asking the right question and it is why Thank you. I appreciate and that. it is why in baseball parenthetically war wins above replacement is such a valuable tool because it is a cumulative measure like I actually wind up looking at totals like total minutes total points to, you know total everything's when making decisions like these, because that is just as important. It's not just how good, it's, it's the Venn diagram between how good and how often. That's right. part, like that is part of value. But like being good in, in spasms is only so valuable. Being average over a long period of time is only so valuable. But those who can actually do both are the most valuable players in the NBA, which is why even if Joel Embiid were eligible and plays 60 or 61 games, there's no chance he would get my vote as the world's biggest fan of Joel Embiid. So let me ask you a question. This is, this is extreme on purpose here, but here we go. What if
2: I told you there was a player in the NBA this year who his team won every, two of every three games he played in. Okay. Okay. He averaged 25 points, nine assists, and seven rebounds a game.
3: Okay. Sound like an MVP to you? So his team wins two thirds of the games in which he plays, and he averages twenty five nine and seven. Yeah, um, that is an MVP candidate. Right. So that's John ja Morant, who played three games this year, and his team won two. At some point, what you do in those
2: games is nice. At some point, playing in more of them is better. Yeah.
3: No, you're right. No, I
2: I <laughs> that understand that extreme that's on purpose.
3: Too extreme.
2: Oh, okay, but, Hembo?
3: I understand the point that you're trying to make. Like we, Because we do everything on a per-game basis, because we average everything, I think we obscure the big picture sometimes, which is endurance is the most important, under-talked-about attribute in sports. And that is why I am 100% on board with the 65-game minimum. Would you prefer it be a... 2000 minute minimum, or something approximating that in that world to make now this that's a, interesting. a little bit cleaner. Well, if you, you know, like 30 minutes a game times 65 is 1950, so we could do something like that so that players don't have to worry about suiting up if they don't necessarily feel like they can. If let's say Joel Embiid did that last night, but I think some kind of threshold makes the league a much better place.
2: Embiid this year 35.3 points per game, 11.3 rebounds per game, 5.7 assists per game. Nobody's doubting whether or not he's an MVP candidate. Now, he can miss only five more games um, the rest of the season to be eligible for postseason awards. And if he decided to push himself for the MVP, that retroactively was the wrong decision because he's accomplished that. What he's missing, i.e., Lamar Jackson, is a Super Bowl or final or, MV- or NBA championship. He's not Josh Allen, who I understand why he would push himself to win an MVP because he's never done that mm-hmm. before. Greening is presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com slash careers. Coming up, we are witnessing a change of the guard right before our eyes in the NFL of course, we will get to that after a word about ESPN Bet now live as the official sportsbook of ESPN. ESPN Bet is the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities like Rainey and show. Sign up today and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sportsbook bet Find all of your favorite markets and bets, like in-game winning and wagering, of course. Oh, in-game wagering, excuse me. cross parlays, teasers, and all the props you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. What a play. It must be 21 plus and present in a legal gambling state. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Screening. Again, try Jet's signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured... It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
1: Greeny, the podcast.
6: The Seahawks hiring Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald as their head coach. The Seahawks were willing to hold off
7: their search until after Baltimore season ended. Whenever that was, McDonald made the decision to go to Seattle and now become the youngest head coach in the NFL.
2: 36 years old, Mike McDonald's head coach, Seattle Seahawks. This is Greeny coming to you live from the Seaport, brought to you by Patron. Perfection starts with Patron, along with Hembo, Evan Cohen. In for Greeny today. Our teammate, Freddie Coleman, Freddie and Harry, 3P to 7P Eastern time, had an interesting take about the youth movement currently going on with NFL head coaches.
0: If you see something that has worked... You wanted to make sure that you're not left behind in that arms race when it comes to players, when it comes to general managers, and more than ever before, when it comes to coaches. Older owners have realized we can't relate to players. We can't expect that somebody our age. We can't expect the grandfather to go out there and coach football teams anymore in the National Football League because players will tune old people out.
2: So... With Raheem Morris, Falcons, 47 years old. Mike McDonald with the Seahawks, 36. Dave Canales with the Panthers, 42. Brian Callahan with the Titans, 39. This is the age. Antonio Pierce, the Raiders, 45. Gerard Mayo with the Pats, 37. The only person above 47 years old that was hired this hiring cycle so far with Washington, still to be determined, was Jim Harbaugh, who obviously was a no-brainer hire for the Chargers. You know what this tells me, Hembo? Hmm. When you have all of these young coaches hired this year, This actually guarantees that both Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll will be hired next year. Because what always happens is the opposite on the hiring cycles. That everyone goes in one trend, some of these guys will not work out, and next year will be the opposite trend. Why? Because the head coaches that were able to keep their jobs while not old coach teams that need win-now coaches. Who are those coaches? Sean McDermott in Buffalo, Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia, Mike McCarthy in Dallas, maybe even Doug Peterson in Jacksonville. These are head coaches that are coaching teams that should win and win big immediately. So if one of those guys does not work out, they are not going to go to the trend of the young coach because they want to win immediately. Where do you go with somebody who's to win immediately? Somebody who's won before. Usually somebody that's won before is not 42 years
3: old. Mm, You want the remedy, not the replica. Wow, well said. This is, this is my sort of spinoff. I, I, fundamentally, I agree with, with Freddie, but I view it a little bit more nefariously. I think the reason why Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel and Pete Carroll, to date at least, have not been hired has, has less to do with just how old people are and more to do with how much influence and how much power general managers in the NFL are wielding. Mm, I'm Which, glad you said that. Quick Quick note. The two teams in the, end, in the uh, Super Bowl are both
2: built like Belichick and Pete Carroll were built for 100 years. Think about this. San Francisco is run by Kyle Shanahan, who in essence employed John Lynch. Mm-hmm. They're perfect together. Andy Reid runs Kansas City, who employed Brent Veach, and they're great together. I'm not downplaying the power that Veach and Lynch have. I am giving you the path line as to how they got their jobs. Yeah, Continue.
3: That's interesting. So in, in most cases, if not all cases, the, the general manager's proximity to the owner is so much closer than the head coach's proximity to the owner, which is why anytime something bad or catastrophic happens, you see the coordinators go first and then you'll see the head coach go and you'll see general managers survive several iterations, even if you can largely say that these are personnel issues. The thing is, whoever has the owner's ear is going to be the person that wins out. And the more and more that these kinds of things happen, the more and more that first-time head coaches get their chance, I don't view it as owners worried that they're going to miss out on the next Zach Taylor or Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan. I view it as general managers who have a say in these matters trying to find the least powerful people that they can justify because they know that Belichick or Vrabel or Pete Carroll might wind up being the reason they either lose power or lose their jobs entirely. What say you?
2: Well, I think there is part of that, obviously, but I think then what you're choosing would be, especially in the case of Belichick, Let me choose for me to keep my job for a little instead of try to keep my job forever if I win over that person immediately. Mm. There's no one that seemingly has the guts to say, I'm going to bring in Belichick and I'm going to find a way to win him over as I'm hiring him where he never wants to get rid of me because we're going to win and we're going to win big. Nobody's actually done that. And by the way, from an ownership perspective, what you're choosing to do is operate a franchise your way, which is, you're right, you own it, Versus a winning way. You want to lose? Fine. You want to win? Hire Belichick. The
3: most astonishing piece of this to me is Atlanta. I think Raheem Morris is going to be an outstanding coach for them and would have been for anyone. But the fact that, correct me if I'm wrong, Arthur Blank effectively chose Rich McKay over Bill Belichick, I think is sort of proof positive of my theory, at least in their particular case, that the executive has way more power than we realize, that the coach in many cases are just dummies that are on the field, dummies in you know, the UMMY on the field that the public can bash and that we can get rid of when they fail. And I don't have to worry as a general manager, as a front office type, that, I'm, that, my, that people are coming for my head instead. So there's such a lack of creativity in this hypothetical that you just
2: pointed out by the, by the ownership. So in this hypothetical, uh-huh. my guesstimation is Arthur Blank has a company that is not the Atlanta Falcons. He owned Home Depot forever, but he has his own family office, let's say. So if Bill Belichick walks in and says, I want to work for this organization, I want to do it my way. In essence, I'm the president. You already have a team president. And I can't have him here. Well, if I'm Arthur Blank, if I value Rich McKay in this hypothetical so much, uh-huh. I can employ him. I don't have to have the Falcons employ him. If I value him, you are now working for me. You want a job, same salary, same kind of role. You are my advisor. You're not the Falcons advisor. You work for me. Hmm. I can get Belichick, and I could still have you. There's just a lack of creativity in my mind. If that hypothetical is correct, why do you have to fire anyone? Hire them differently. That's my issue here. You know We haven't seen a team do that. We should put a pin in that. Oh, no. The pin thing. The pin thing. (laughs) It's Greeny. Presented by Progressive Insurance.
1: Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN radio or watch the show through the watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at eight on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.
2: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.